So earlier this week, our, uh, our AC went out at our house, and so uh, I called the AC company to have somebody come out and take a look at it. Service tech shows up the next day, super nice guy. Um, I wasn't at home, though, so Jenny answered the door, my wife. Uh, but when she opened the door, uh, the technician, he just stood there with this really puzzled look on his face. And Jenny, being sweet Jenny, was like, hi, I'm Jenny. I'm so glad you're here. AC is broken. Uh, but the tech just kept staring at her and was so confused. And he says, uh, am I at the right place? Jenny says, yes, of course. Our AC is broken. We've been expecting you. It's over 80 degrees in our house. The man is still very confused. And now Jenny's confused as to why he's so confused. I mean, Broken AC, we call the AC company. AC company sends out this service technician, like what's not adding up for him. Uh, so the guy asks Jenny again, are you sure I'm at the right place? First United Methodist Church of Dunedin. Oh, now Jenny thinks. I, I know he was showing up to this address thinking that it was a church, but it's a house because uh, the church, o- church owns the house. So she tries to explain all of this to them. Uh, but this man, he's still very, very confused, and, and just this puzzled look on his face. He says, sorry, I just didn't think that pastors could get married. Um, oh, <laughs> that's it. Yep, married and two kids, so, you know, deduce that. Anyways, a service guy finally steps inside after Jenny has convinced him that this is actually the pastor's house, and yes, pastors can get married Turns out uh, this, this guy, he was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, um, so priests were the only exposure that he had to professional clergy, and they don't get married. Um, so they're having this, this great conversation, Jenny's telling me about this, and then she said, you know, he was talking about the Catholic Church, he said uh, that they were the meanest people he had ever met in his life. Ouch. And, and no, I don't, I, don't, I don't say that to take a jab at the Catholic Church, because trust me, there are plenty of mean Methodists and bad Baptists and putrid Presbyterians, okay? Um, but but Jenny's, Jenny's telling me the story, and we're talking about just like how nice this guy was and how great a job that he did. Uh, and then she told me, you know, this kind of funny but sad story about his confusion and what he said, that, that they were the meanest people he had ever met before in his life. And I know that this happens all the time, that his story is the same story of, of thousands of people, that, that for so many, the, the church represents hatred and hypocrisy and oppression and just downright meanness and ugliness. All, all of that is the very antithesis of what the church should represent. You might remember uh, that Jesus made a pretty big deal about love. That's why we call our annual stewardship campaign, Love Big, because love was a big deal for God. Love should be a big deal for us. And God calls us to show big love to the world. Jesus made a big, big deal about love. In fact, Jesus is um, his last lesson to his disciples before he goes to the cross was about just that. It was, it was about love and it was about service. And so uh, this comes from John Gospel of John chapter 13, story begins this way. It says, before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully, completely, wholly. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal, the last supper, the Passover meal. The devil had already provoked Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, now picture this. All, all authority, all authority is given to you. Imagine, imagine Jesus in this moment. All authority is given to you. Here you go. It, it's all you. And you know that one of your closest friends is about to betray you. What, what would you do? This is what Jesus does. Verse 4, it says, so. So, so with all of that authority, with all of that power, with all of that, that right and all of that might and all of that just justification that he has to call Judas to the carpet right in this moment, right in his back pocket, this is what Jesus does. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robes, picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. Skip down to verse 12. Jesus explains this teachable moment. It says, after he washed the disciples' feet, he put, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. And he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. Don't, don't forget who... I am. I'm, I'm, I'm Lord with a capital L. I'm King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I'm the one who spoke the world into motion. All, all of that, I'm, I'm the one that has the power to heal and forgive and redeem. There is no greater name. And he goes on, verse 14, he says, and so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, just as I have done, so you must also do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. That Jesus has, has set us as an example. He, he gathered to his table in this moment all, all the cowards who are about to deny him, Peter, all, all the betrayers who are about to turn him in, Judas, and, and all, all of the sinners who are about to fail him, all, all the rest. And he washed their dirty feet. And then a few hours later, he died on a cross for all of the cowards, all of the betrayers, and all of the sinners. Because when no one was willing to do a servant's job and wash dirty feet, Jesus took up the towel and the wash basin. Jesus, in, in his position of power and authority that God had given him, he saw a need and met it. Nobody else was willing to do that job. It, it was a job for a servant. It was, some, it was a job for someone who is, who is less than them. But Jesus, with all of his power, all of his authority, he just saw dirty feet and said, this one's mine. Th this is what I'm going to do. And so as followers of Jesus, the, the question that, that we need to ask ourselves is, where is there a need? Where is there a need and how can we meet it? And, and then look, look at what Jesus says after the meal. Verse 34, after he washes their feet, he says, I give you a new commandment. The word new here doesn't mean like new, new, brand new. It means new as, as, as unique or unexpected. Here's, here's this unexpected command that I give you. You, you remember the, the, the Ten Commandments. You, you remember those. Here's, here's a new one. Here's the eleventh, but really it's just the first command that summarizes it all. I give you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. So you must also love 
each other, just as I have loved you. And when Jesus said this, the disciples knew exactly what he meant, or at least the half of it, because they had just seen him get down on his knees to wash their dirty feet in humble service. Jesus did for them what none of them were willing to do for each other. I mean, the the method was the message here. Love one another just as I have loved you. So you must love each other. And and listen, the the context here is is really important because this is just Jesus and his closest friends, the the 12 apostles here. There's there's no crowds. There's nobody else that Jesus is talking to. This this wasn't a teachable moment for, for the masses. This wasn't a public service announcement. This was a private service announcement to his friends who would eventually build his church. These 12 were Jesus' own little local church, his small group, if you will. And and I imagine in this moment, Jesus looks around the table at at the 12 who, who he had gathered to him. And I just imagine Jesus saying, you know, love one another just as I have loved you. So, so Peter, Listen up, I know that you still have a bad attitude about me inviting Matthew, the tax collector, to join our little posse here. And you're still looking down upon him. Isn't that right, Matthew? Well, Peter, love him. Nathaniel, what about you? You remember what you said about my hometown and my mama, that nothing good can come out of Nazareth? Yeah, and you remember how... Still, I invited you to come and follow me and be my disciple anyway. Yeah, well, love each other just as I have loved you. Don't, don't you dare try to love people the way you think they deserve to be loved. Love them the way that I have loved you. Because it's, it's true, we, we try to love people the way they, we think that they deserve to be loved. But Jesus says, no, no, don't. Don't, don't get mixed about that. Just, just love. Just love each other. No asterisks, no terms and conditions, no qualifiers, no exit clauses. Just, just love. Love each other. And then he says this, verse 35, really drives it home. He says, this is how. This is how. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. This is how. This is how everybody's going to know that you are mine, that you belong to me. This is how. Not, not by how you vote, not by slapping some Christian label on, on everything, not by your little Jesus fish on your bumper sticker or your Christian t-shirt or any of that. Not, not by any of that, but this is how. This is how everyone will know that you belong to me when, when you love each other, he says. This is how. This is how. And remember, Jesus is just talking to his 12 disciples here. He, he says that by loving one another, serving one another, one anothering one another, that, that this is how everyone's going to know that, that you're mine, that this is your distinctive, this, this is your brand, this is your mark. Love is the trademark of the church. Love, love each other. Love each other in such a way that the world sits up and takes notice and, and says, what is that? Who, who are they? And I, I think I want to be a part of that. I mean, do you know how you can identify a disciple? You just look for the person with dirty hands. You want to you know how you can 
find out who's the disciple, look for the person who's wearing a towel and washing feet. Look, look for the person who's, who's trying to meet the needs that nobody else is willing to meet. You see, serving, serving is not just something that we do. It, it's who we are. We, we are servants. And, and sometimes we, we've gotten this so mixed up that, that we are not spiritual consumers. Church, we are spiritual contributors. When you serve, you don't just go to church or do the things of the church. No, when you serve, you are the church. You are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. When we serve as the church, we are Jesus Christ here in our community. And friends, we are stewards of the very thing that Jesus set in motion, the church, this, this Jesus movement. We're stewards of that. Everything that he passed on to his 12 disciples, he has passed on to us. We, we are the church, and we are the church here for this generation, for the next generation, for the next generation after that. And listen, we have a choice. We can either take from it and consume, 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 and we can leave the church weaker and more ineffectual than it already is because we got what we wanted out of the church, right? I'm going to heaven when I die, and so I show up on Sunday mornings just really for the entertainment until I get there. We can do that. We can treat the church like a movie theater where you come in, you sit in rows, you face forward, you stay quiet, and then everybody gets up to leave once the show is over. We can do that. Or, or we can actually engage with it. We, we can actually do something, be, be a part of something that is, that is bigger than just us. We can choose not to just con- consume, but actually to contribute something. And, and you're smart people. You've, you've all heard this. You know the st- statistics. You know what the experts have say, are saying about the church. They're all saying that the church is dying. The church is dying. And, and you know the pandemic that just hastened its death. The church is dying. But do you know who gets to determine whether or not this is true? Do you know who gets to determine whether or not this becomes a reality? Whether or not the church is going to be here for the next generation? For your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Do you, do you know who gets to determine that? Whether or not the, the church is dying? You do. We, we do. Because you are the church. Listen, you are your church. Yes, it belongs to Jesus, but you, you are your church. You are this church. Now, the question is, will you be the church? Will you be your church. Will, will, will we fulfill our divine mandate that Jesus has passed on to us? Will we be the stewards of this remarkable movement that Jesus launched and then laid down his life for? I say yes. I say yes. But it doesn't matter if I say yes and everybody else stays quiet. Will we? I say yes. But really what it takes is each and every one of us need to say Yes, because you are your church. You are Jesus' church. You are the body of Christ. At, at, least, at least that's what the Apostle Paul says in a letter to a church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says it pretty clear. He says, you are the body of Christ and parts of each other. And Paul says body of Christ. It's, it's not just like the simple metaphor here. It's so much stronger than that. He, he's saying, You are supposed to do the things that Jesus did in your local community. 
that, that we are the body of Christ. We, we are Jesus' hands and feet, Jesus' very presence here in our community. And each one of us is a part of it. And, and if you feel like, well, I don't really feel like part, I'm part of it, and I don't really want to be part of it, I just want to consume I just want to show up and sit down and stay quiet and then leave. Paul would say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how this thing works. That, that doesn't make any sense. And yet, that's how many of us approach the modern church in America. You show up, you attend, and then you leave. But for Paul in the early church, that would just be total nonsense. And so here's what Paul would say to us, because here's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He would say the same thing. He says, so if the foot says, which if your foot says anything, like game over, okay, that's, that's weird. But if the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean that it's not part of the body? No. If any of your body parts just decide that they're not going to be a part of the rest of your body, you know what the rest of your body would say? But too bad. You are, okay? You're, you're part of, of us. He says, if, if the ear says, they're probably all laughing at this when they're reading this, because it is, it's just total nonsense. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If I, if I can't do what I want to do, and if it's not convenient for me, then I don't want to be a part of it. Does that mean it's not part of the body? You're attached. You're, you're attached. You're, you're needed. And it's not just the collection. It's, it's each of you are part of it. Paul, Paul is saying, you're attached. Start acting like it. You're, you're part of the body. You're attached. Be, be engaged. And so, if you're grateful, if you're grateful for our local church, what we do here, and you like showing up on Sunday mornings, and it's a great way to spend your time, and you think, and you're grateful for the ministries and the things that we do here at the church. If you're, if you're grateful, but not engaged, it's time to engage. It's time to stop acting like a severed body part. Because I, I don't know if you know this, um, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen a severed body part, a disconnected body part, um, I'll let you know. It's pretty gross. It's not a pretty sight. Paul says, don't be gross. Be engaged. You're, you're attached. You're, you're supposed to be attached. And, and you all know this, that, that a disconnected part of the body, it, it can't survive on its own. And, and you know, I get this. I, I hear this all the time. You know, people will say, well, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I meet God on the golf course. And uh, I, on the beach at, at sunset. And I watch, I watch three church services uh, every Sunday morning on TV from my couch. You're right. <laughs> You're right. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. That's, that's absolutely right. Faith, salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. Yep, absolutely. Um, but just like you don't need to go home to your spouse to be legally married, it's not a bad idea, <laughs> Right? I mean, you can, you can be, be, be legally married and, and never even see the person that you're married to, and you can still be legally married, sure, but, but what is that? And so this, this isn't just like, we need you. Because, yeah, we, 
We do. It's, it, it's true. You're, you're, you are part of the body and we need you. But also, you need us. We need each other. This whole Christian thing is a, is a communal thing. To follow Christ the way that Jesus intended for us, it, it takes a community. The very first thing that Jesus did, what did he do? He gathered 12 people together. He lived life with them. He invested in those relationships. That's what he did. That's the model. Paul says, we are connected. And when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we should all rejoice. You need us because you are a member of the body. And we need you because you are a member of the body. So, here it is. How are you going to be a member of the body? That, I mean, that's it. How are you going to be a member of the body? And yeah, maybe, maybe I'm a little heavy-handed, turning up the heat a little bit. But you know what? This is too important not to. Because the church of the next generation depends on it. It depends on you. You are your church. And so how are you going to be a part of it? And, and let me be clear. You, you are one. You are not everyone. And you cannot do everything. You're not supposed to. That's not how this community thing works. But you can do one thing. So what's your one thing? You can't do everything, right? You can't be in worship every week and uh, volunteer in children's ministry and greet and play in the band and, and, and. You, you can't do everything, but can you do one? What's your one thing? You can't volunteer for every downtown event that we show hospitality to our community, but can you do one? Can, can you serve one meal for Doug Brown? What, what's, your, what's your one thing? Jesus showed us disciples, Christians. They're the ones who get down and serve. The thing that defines his followers is love. And he said, this is how. This is how. This is how everyone will know that you belong to me. Love one another just as I, your Lord and teacher, Jesus, have loved you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your church. God, we thank you for the gift of community, this movement that you have launched and called us to be a part of. God, what a gift it is, and Lord, we know that your church has so oftentimes failed. Sometimes just outright, blatant, horrifying ways. God, for, forgive us of that. And sometimes, Lord, we, we just haven't watched ourselves and, and we've put off that Christians are the meanest people that they've ever met. God, forgive us. Help, help us to do better. You, you call us for more than that. But God, this still truly is a gift to be a part of your body, of your movement here on earth. And so Lord, won't you, won't you fill us with your love? May, may we take to heart the example that you set, that you saw a need, that you met it, that you didn't exploit power, think that you were better than, but you just simply loved. God, help us. Help us to simply love. 
pray this in your name. Amen.